0: Hey, everybody, it's Dennis O'Brien here with Susan Johnson and Matt Rupar on Let's Talk About It. And we are really pleased tonight to host the mayor of Hartford, Connecticut, Luke Brown. And Luke was just here a few days ago marching in the boombox parade, and he, he helped Wayne Norman put his hat back on when Wayne's hat fell to the ground. So Wayne, Wayne wanted me to mention that on the air, Luke, and uh, he says thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Well, thank you, uh, Dennis and Susan, for having me on. And, you know, it was an American flag hat, so when it falls to the ground, you've got to respect and pick it up real quick and get it back where it belongs.
2: Well, we appreciate that you came out to the Boombox Parade, and we're certainly very happy to have you here on the show, Luke, uh, Mayor Bronin. And uh, we're just uh, very, very excited to have you talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that you did uh, before you became the mayor and what led to you becoming the mayor.
1: Well, I, I appreciate you having me on, and I've been looking forward to it. And I had a blast at the parade. It was uh, for that brief moment when it wasn't uh, a, a torrential downpour that day. It was a beautiful thing. Well, we as were, we always uh, say,
2: Wayneo keeps control of the weather, and he did it again.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: yeah, we were very lucky. We uh, we got a, we, we caught it just right, and uh, yeah, it was a great parade. A lot of great people in the parade. A lot of great people in the audience. And uh, it was. It's always uh, it's always a big hit, and. Uh, Luke, it was uh, great uh, great for you to come out from Hartford to uh, March in the Parade. And you, you're no stranger to these parts. We've had you out here many times. In any event, uh, we, I just want you to give a little brief. I could do it, but I'd rather have you do it because you're more sure. familiar with it. But how about a brief biographical sketch of Luke Bronin?
1: Sure. Well, I'll... Uh... I'll go backwards, I guess you know so i as you know i've been mayor uh it'll be eight years in uh, in December, which uh, that 's what the calendar says, although it feels like twenty uh, before that, <laughs> I was uh, working uh, as then Governor malloy 's chief legal counsel, so his general counsel. I did that for a couple of years, and before that, I spent four years down uh, in the federal government at the Treasury Department during the first uh The first Obama term, President Obama's first term from 2009 to 13. And I was working in the the wake of the financial crisis, worked on the Wall Street Reform Act, the Dodd-Frank Act, uh, and a whole whole bunch of other stuff. Then I had a a deployment in the middle of that because I was a a Navy reservist and I spent some time over in Afghanistan and then came back to a different part of the Treasury where I... uh, ran an office that was responsible for counter-terrorist financing and anti-money laundering, sort of all the international illicit finance stuff in our sanctions programs. Um, and uh, and that was fascinating work. I loved it. Uh, it was a great team and, and time to be doing it. But it was really hard on the home front. We had little kids that I was traveling all the time. So that's when, when we decided to come back up to Connecticut, and uh, and, and I started working for, for Malloy. And in the two years at the governor's office, you know, Susan, we got to work together on a bunch yeah, of stuff. But, that's right. You know, we did some, I think, a lot of good work on, on common sense gun laws, on environmental protection, open space protection, on, uh, you know, Combating veterans' homelessness, which was something that I was uh, I felt really strongly about, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I felt really lucky to have done all of that, uh, you know, federal and state. But there's something just y- unique and special from my standpoint about uh, working at the, the local level, the municipal level. You just you're you're face to face with your work. You, you you confront your failures and your successes every day in in a in a way that kind of pushes you to do your best. And um, and I've loved
2: that. Well, we, that's a quick catch. I, you've done amazing work uh, wherever you are, <laughs> uh, whether it was with the governor that I was familiar with your work there. And uh, I, I didn't realize your background about working with the federal government and that you were in the Navy as well. So that's all amazing work. And, of course, understanding all that those financial aspects has been uh, very, I'm sure, very, very helpful to you in analyzing where we are now in the state of Connecticut.
0: Yeah, we yeah. also know Luke that you're a musician, a singer, and, and a composer. And if we had you, <laughs> well, uh, you know, we, and, and next time you come out here, we're gonna have have you bring your guitar and sing us a song.
1: Oh, you're gonna have to give me some time to uh, to course. remember how to do it in that case. Come on, <laughs> so we, we wouldn't spring a, it on you. We've got to rehearse. That was another. Uh, that that was another lifetime. I uh, well, I, I I did I did used to play a lot, and I and I miss it, and I should be doing more of it. Who knows? Maybe uh, maybe come January, I'll. Oh, Get, get back in the
0: habit uh, the way I should. Okay, so uh, Hartford is a city that's near and dear to me personally. I grew up in the shadow of Hartford in the northern part of New Britain, and I spent an awful lot of time in Hartford as a kid playing basketball, especially at uh, Southwest Boys Club in tournaments and also at Keeney Park. And uh, I also worked in the Hartford Post Office uh, during uh, the years I was at the Yukon um, Law School uh, back in Good the— early 70s. Anyway, I love Hartford. I, I, I remember reading that Mark Twain moved to Hartford because he thought it was the most beautiful city in America. And uh, it, ha- it is beautiful. It's a beautiful place. But it certainly has, uh, you know, has, diffi- has its difficulties that it didn't have kind of when I was a young kid. But so you, when you started there in, uh, what, eight, almost eight years ago, so what did you, what, did you ex- what were your expectations?
1: Well look I, you know i had I ran for mayor because there were things that I felt like we had to try to tackle more seriously uh, and was was frustrated by some of the decisions that were being made. but I have to admit you know i I knew that we had our challenges ahead i didn 't really have a, a full appreciation for the scale of the financial problem that uh, I was going to come into when I took office and uh, and that was the the first thing was was to recognize you know to get under the hood and just realize how broken the financial situation uh, was, and, and it had been getting worse for a while. Uh, and when I came in, you know, what we were looking at was a, a real cliff, you know, just a sea of, of red ink. Uh, the, the city was bankrupt. It was not in bankruptcy legally, but it was bankrupt. And, you know, it was so bad that you know, there were, looking out over the years ahead, you could you could see the date when the city wouldn't have been able to make its payroll. And you could see those those cliffs when you could have eliminated entire huge important departments of the city and still not been able to uh to close that gap and the one thing that i was determined to do and my my team along with me were determined to do was not to just buy time right? we didn't want to just find a way to to band-aid it over or to buy another year or get from you know we, 2016 to 2017, and then figured out then we really wanted to try to lay a stronger foundation. And that meant a whole bunch of things. I mean, first of all, it meant some really tough decisions. We made some really deep cuts that were painful and painful for our community and, uh, and had a real impact on services in the city. Uh, we, we asked our unions to, to come to the table in some really, really big ways, uh, and they did.
2: Well, that's amazing work that you did that you were able to actually – you know, get that sort of, uh, you know, agreement with everybody, because I think everybody realized the difficulty. When you take a look at the mill rate, it's the highest mill rate, I think, in the state. Yeah. Back in, when you took over, it was around 74, I think. That's right. And That's everything right. had been split, too, uh, where the businesses, I think, paid more than the residents, and uh, in terms of the uh, property tax. Yeah, so you which had, is, you which had is still these, the case. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> the, but that, is, uh, but that uh, doesn't do a lot to attract business. And yet you've been able to attract business. And some of the things I think you might have realized, I'm pretty sure you realized, actually, (laughs) when you were working for the state was how the state uh, works with the the municipalities, particularly the municipalities that serve. And as I call us, I call us serving communities. So maybe tell me a little bit about how you view that.
1: Sure, sure. And and let me, I, I apologize. I had something happen to my phone there, so I was... There's a couple other pieces of it that I'll, and I'll, I'll include what you're um, talking about Susan. you know beyond making those tough cuts and asking our unions, we also asked our, our companies our big corporations to be part of the solution in a meaningful way and to put some real money on the table which they did and then, as you know, we built uh, in partnership with our legislative leaders, with the governor's office, uh, with our legislature as a whole, a partnership uh, that made it possible to put together a long term Fiscal sustainability plan—a long-term plan that we could actually give us the chance to to budget responsibly, to provide the basic services we need, and then to grow. And a part of making that case uh, for for why that made sense—not just for the city of Hartford, but for the state—gets to this point that you're talking about, Susan. I think, which is that you know, in Connecticut as a whole, we're we're a hugely fragmented state—one hundred and sixty-nine towns.
2: Exactly. Um,
1: A lot of the needs in our state are concentrated in particular places, and those places with the highest need often have the smallest resource base to draw on. They, they have, they're often among the poorest communities, which means they don't have that property wealth to draw on to, to, to support those needs. And at the same time, they provide enormously important services. For the state as a whole or for the region as a whole, whether it's hospitals or educational institutions or social service providers or, uh, you know, state uh, government uh, property institutions, all of that uh, stuff that serves as a resource for a whole region um, but doesn't contribute to the economic base and the tax base. And I think that's one of the things we just had to have a more honest conversation about in this state, something that affects Willamantik. Oh lot. yes, <laughs> <Something> that affects <laughs> Hartford and many other cities. But I, I think it's a. I love this conversation, you know, uh, with, that you and I often have because I think sometimes perceive, sometimes people perceive it as a problem that's only for the the biggest cities in Connecticut, and that's not the case. There's just some really profound differences and disparities among communities, and we've got a property tax system that sometimes makes that worse, not better.
2: Exactly. And I'm so thrilled to have you uh, talk about that because I know that uh, you have you've worked hard. And I just want to have Dennis talk a little bit about what he did because Senator Looney uh, was finally able to create the three-tiered payment in lieu of taxes system. And Dennis had worked with you and with a number of the Hartford, New Haven, Bridgeport, Waterbury, some of the bigger uh, places, the bigger places because uh, the, they host the state, they host the nonprofits. They host uh, the hospitals that uh, provide these services. And uh, to not be able to get the regular payment in lieu of taxes that we are supposed to have uh, and be treated the same as a town that has maybe one small uh, pilot situation uh, really is something that has been detrimental to us since we put in pilot. So Dennis, tell us a little bit about your work. At, well, with, with I don't want to go too far Luke, into it,
0: but, uh, Luke, but bit, uh, yeah. how, how, you probably don't know how it started for, with us from, from Wyndham is I was on the town council with people like Charlie Critch, who works for the CCHRO mm-hmm. uh, attorney, and Dawn Niles. and. Uh, we had the uh, executive director of CCM, Joe, come out and um, talk to us because we had we were, we told him we were not happy with uh, the way uh, CCM was treating the uh, inner cities. We certainly consider ourselves an inner city, just like Harford does. We're not like we're not like you in a lot of ways, but we are. We have si- we have very similar issues, as you know. Yeah. And and that that's true of New London also. Which is another you mentioned smaller absolutely. towns and even even Jewett City I think Norwich absolutely they're not in our class I mean we, uh, we New London and 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 Wyndham are in a class by itself when it comes to those kinds of problems out this way but but any, and, anyway and think, Joe came to us and said what do you want because we, we we dropped out of CCM we didn't think we were getting enough attention and what I've always wanted and I tried to get it through with when Ed Marcus was the chairman of the. Uh, the state chairman of the Democratic Party would, would be a, a group of regular of people from inner cities all over the state, bigger, big ones, small ones, people who had inner city problems, meeting on a regular basis and addressing problems that we have in common. And Joe said, okay, if that's what you want, that's what, that's what we'll have. And, and, and we got back, we were the only town that was not in CCM. We had dropped out. And, and that's how those meetings uh, got started. And I really missed that because I'm not on the town council anymore. And uh, I was designated by the then mayor to represent us, probably because I said the most about it during our meetings, a lot more than anybody else, actually. And um, I really enjoyed working with you and with uh, Mayor Elker and all the other mayors. Uh, uh, and he, he, Matt Hart, who came, and he was, uh, he was from West Harvard at the time. I, Matt and I yep. worked together for 14 years in Mansfield. And he's now with Crog, of course, and, and he and he was there, and we had, we had a great group, and, and out of our first few meetings came the proposal that Marty Looney put forward to increase pilot pilot uh, fund to, it had the effect of increasing pilot funding to uh, cities like uh, New Haven and Hartford, and Bridgeport and Waterbury, and New Britain, and uh, smaller cities like our own.
1: You, you, you're. Uh, I- I am so grateful for you know the, the work that you did to help build that coalition because it was really important. And as you know, you know people had been trying and arguing and trying to make the case for changing that pilot formula and more fully funding it for a long time without a lot of progress. And I think it was that coalition that finally moved the needle with, with Senator Looney's leadership, but uh, with, with that coalition helping to make the case. And, and that was really important. And I think that one of the important parts of it was changing that uh, – that perception of it that it, it wasn't just about the Bridgeports and the Harfords and the New Havens, that it was, as you said, it was also about the New Londons and the Wyndhams and, you know, the the East Hartfords and, and the New Britons um, and, and many others. Uh, there are a lot of communities that face that. So, and, and, you know, I, I um, no longer there, but for, uh, but for two years, uh, until this past January, I was, uh, the president of the, of CCM, and one of the things that I I take a lot of pride in, but I think is actually rooted in that same work that you talked about, was helping to to make sure that CCM wasn't just a a body that was saying no to things. It was actually trying to be part of pushing forward some solutions that really needed to be tackled in a serious way.
0: Well, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the cities that we talked about, the big ones and the small ones. We're all, we're all, uh, we may have a, lar- a large percentage of the population of the state put together, but in terms of numbers, with uh, with all the other towns on uh, 169, we're a, a minority, and yeah, okay. and we need uh, we need special uh, attention from you know our major uh, advocacy group uh, CCM, yeah. and I think that uh, that started to happen, and that was a great way to get us off the ground. Uh, doing that pilot uh, project and uh, of course as you, as you as you implied at least, it wouldn't have happened without Senator Looney. No
1: question. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It was a stroke of um, genius
2: to create that three tiered system. I thought, wow. Right. Here we are and the and the, they going according to the incomes of the population and the resources and the and how much they support the region and the state with respect to yep. non taxable pilot programs. And so uh, that was uh, that was a great way to frame everything. And I was just uh, thrilled when I saw that come out. I go, yes. <laughs> yeah,
1: I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. I thought it was a really well-designed, really important, and long overdue. And of course, you know, it doesn't mean the the, bat, the battle's done. Either. No. It, you know, you still we still got a long way to go before there's you know full recognition of the role that that communities like the ones we're talking about play. Um, and, and I think that sometimes in that conversation, it's also really important not just to talk about the the burden that those communities carry or the challenges that they have but uh, and not even just from a fairness standpoint which is i think a a powerful argument but but even beyond that just to have a healthy strong vibrant state that's growing you got to have regions regional centers that are healthy and strong and vibrant you need a healthy exciting energetic new london to help all of southeastern Connecticut grow. You need a you know, healthy, strong, vibrant, culturally rich Wyndham and Wilmanic for, for you know, the sort central northeast part of the state. You need a strong capital city, <laughs> and, and you can go on and on. But we often let ourselves, I think, get so sort of fragmented in this, in this state that we forget that you really do need those strong centers to, to, to be centers of gravity and help drive economic growth and uh, and and be the place where you can create housing opportunity and attract and, and retain young people. So I think it's it's also really important to make not just the case about fairness but the case about why it matters to the whole state that these communities get put into a position where it's possible for them to be strong and successful.
0: Well, that's related in large part to our schools because, you know, there's more failure in schools in towns that are, you know, impacted like ours are, there's no question. And and when, when when people fail in school, they're unable to make a contribution to the state's economy. They're unable to realize their potential to do that. And when they when they fail in large numbers, it really brings the state down. It's not good for them, of course, either. But it's not good for the people living in Avon, Simsbury, and um, Rowayton. I mean, it is it is it is really important that. Uh, we're all in this together. And, and I think it's important for us uh, living in the cities and, and being fam- very familiar with the cities uh, to make, it, make the point to uh, the legislators from uh, who are not representing th- th- those cities that uh, you know we, we're, we're all in it together. And, and how well we do is going to have a relationship to how well you do.
2: Well, you know, I want to add something to that because a lot of uh, the legislators that are not in uh, the urban settings that we just mentioned uh, somehow believe that they're, we get more money when, in fact, on a per pupil basis, we've been getting less since uh, Lowell Weicker was the governor. And by the way, he was a wonderful governor and a, and a great U.S. Senator, but uh, because of the the failure of the legislature to make adjustments after he was governor, uh, we uh, we put ourselves in a situation where the education cost-sharing grant wasn't updated until 2017, after he left the governorship in 1994, 92. Anyway, uh, so we we finally now, this this time, um, we have finally actually uh, made sure that every single community is equalized with respect to the education cost-sharing grant. <clears throat> of course, we need more than that. We need to also, and we'll, we're going to go for a, a message break to ha- uh, let our sponsors uh, help us out with the show. Uh, but, uh, you know, we need to talk a little bit more about some of the other things that can be done to help uh, Connecticut really grow the economy. We'll be right back after these messages. This is Susan Johnson with Dennis O'Brien and our wonderful guest this afternoon, uh, Mayor Luke Bronin.
0: Okay, we're uh, we're we're off the air for, a while, uh, for right. just a couple of minutes. If there's anything in particular that you want to talk about, and I know there's so much you could tell us. Um, like we often have Joe Courtney on the show, and sometimes sure. I'll we'll open up asking him one question, and he'll talk for the rest of the show. <laughs> and you know, you could do that too. I know you could.
1: Well, I'm happy. You know, if you want to do sort of an open-ended, you know, what's happening in Hartford, or like what are you trying to get done in the next six months, or, you know, in the last six months, happy to talk about that. Well, kind of stuff. that's great. Um, I, I, I what, what I'm really
0: interested in, I've been, I've been fighting this battle uh, for a long time, and uh, ever since I was a legal aid lawyer, uh, uh, starting in the early '70s, and. Uh, you know, I, I was hired, uh, Doug Crockett and I were hired by the uh, city of Norwalk to do a study on um, segregated schools, on, on you know, uh, economically and, and racially, and we did. And uh, wow, what a problem And in and, and Connecticut. And, you know, we, you talk about 169 towns. I mean, when we went through the process of uh, cutting down the number of probate courts, which definitely had to be done, there were some probate courts that were working out of a closet one day a week. Or half a day a week, and uh, when we cut down on that, uh, we got a lot of coverage in the current. And we had the guy who was covering us. I can't think, I can't remember his name now. He's still around. Come out here, and I told him. I said, "Look, we should do the same thing with the rest of the uh, state. Uh, we're going down to forty probate courts. We should mm-hmm. have thirty to forty towns and thirty <laughs> to forty uh, school districts. Uh, I'd say I'd start with the school districts first. Yep. But that's uh, yeah." About that's to. a
1: that's a that's I, I think, that's yeah. a big goal well, you know i did my whole I, you did that whole when i came in i did that whole tour of all the towns around here trying to make that case for uh for regionalism oh sure that's oh, a big sure. goal it yeah.
2: is i think that one of the ways to uh, you know finally get the adjustment though to regionalism is to make sure that everybody's financed uh, more equitably. And uh, I think that that is one of the things once, because one of the things, I, I was on the housing committee last cycle, not this one, and one of the things that we uh, that we'd hear from the Republicans all the time is, Science. what, you want us to build more, uh, you know, uh, state housing, state authority, uh, authority um, public housing? Uh, you don't even get pilot for that. Why would we want to do that? So if we don't uh, actually treat the municipalities like that, uh, like they should be treated, uh, then the, the suburban towns are going to have the excuse, well, you don't get the money, the urban areas don't get the money, so why would we want to expand into the suburban areas? Because you won't get any money there either. Uh, so, you know, once we start paying for things, I think that maybe they'll step up a little more.
0: Well, my, you, you use the right word, uh, 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 many right words in our first talk uh, before the commercial break. Uh, You know, Luke, uh, it's it's fragmentation. Fragmentation is 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 a big part of the problem, and and I think it's a big problem on the national level as well. I mean, it it it, we're we're just not we're we're just not together, and and fragmentation is the enemy.
1: And in, and in Connecticut, you know, if you, I, I think there are probably very few people who would say that if you were building a state from scratch, yes. you would take this state of, a million, of three and a half million people right. and, and then break it up into 169 little towns and, you know, duplicate every single service in every single one and... Uh, and concentrate poverty in certain places. Right? You just you wouldn't build it that way if you were building it from scratch. But obviously, we don't get to build it from scratch. We've got Uh-oh. to uh, deal with what we've got and, and then try to make it better. Well, um, But I do think that's an important part of the, the conversation, is just recognizing that basic fact that we do have a, a – there are not a lot of places in the country that do it the way we do it. That's you know, right. That, that don't have some kind of county government, that don't have larger geographic municipalities, that don't have the ability to, um, you know, whether it's annexation or expansion authorities. There's just very, very few other places in the country that do it the way we do it. And we at least have to be willing to look ourselves in the mirror and acknowledge uh, you know, our, our differences and then see, all right, despite that history or with that history, how do we try to put this state in a position to be as strong and successful as possible? Yeah, had 20 seconds.
0: Yeah, just, just one more thing. What a difference it would make if Hartford included West Hartford, East Hartford, New Britain, sure. Farmington, et cetera, et cetera, and you had a, 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 a city of over a million people. I mean, what yeah. a difference that would make economically and, and and in a lot of ways, you know, educationally as well. Yep.
2: Three, two, one. Welcome back, everyone. This is Susan Johnson. I'm here with my co-host, Dennis O'Brien, and our very special guest this evening, Mayor Luke Bronan, the mayor of Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, and we're just having such a great chat about all the things that uh, that we, that Luke Bronin has done as mayor and all the things perhaps that we're going to be looking at in the next, his last six months uh, in service as mayor of Hartford. So why don't we talk a little bit about that vision that you have?
1: Sure. Uh, you know, I, I always love talking about Hartford. Uh, we, we've got a lot of work underway, and uh, pe- people keep asking me, you oh, know, you just feel like you're slowing down with six months left, and I, I feel like right now we're moving faster than pretty much any other time uh, in the last eight years, because there's so much stuff that we want to try to get done before the clock runs out. And uh, that includes a lot of economic development work. You know, we've worked really hard to try to get investment coming back into the city to... to uh, go after neighborhood economic development projects that the city and, and community has wanted for a long, long time but just hadn't been able to get done and get some of those done. And then, uh, and then we really have to reposition and reimagine what our downtown looks like because uh, for many, many years Hartford's downtown was kind of like a downtown office park, and it was you know quiet after 5 and on weekends. And so even before the pandemic, we were working really hard to make it a a neighborhood and build lots of residential units that would change the way it feels. And we made some good progress there, but of course the pandemic was a, was a huge gut punch and just sucked so much energy and so many people out because people weren't in those office buildings anymore. And so, that means we've had to accelerate that work even more, and, and really try to push forward on that residential development. So there's there's about a dozen projects that we're working really hard on that, you know, I may not get to do the ribbon cuttings on, but some of them I might get to do the groundbreakings on, and some of them, you know, may just get farther far enough down the field that, uh, you know, that they're that they they got a shot to score, and and that's the real that's the real focus right now. And then of course there's so much other work that. That isn't what you see as you drive through the city, but I think is is equally important. You know things like um, trying to continue to strengthen our youth service corps that we built, which uh, has has helped to give thousands of kids their first paid job and connection to to mentorship and, and skill building and support, um, and uh, and things like our reentry welcome center to try to make sure that people who are coming back into our community actually get the chance to build a, a life that is better for themselves, but also for the whole city and and makes for a a safer, stronger city. So, I mean, there's just so much work underway that we're trying to keep pushing on. And, and, you know, some of it is trying to go after goals that we want, and some of it is just uh, battling back against challenges. I mean, we we talked a little bit about education. We talked, you know, but we haven't talked much about the pandemic, but like a lot of places, we really saw kids disengage after that pandemic, and we're working hard to try to get them reengaged and uh, in school and in activities in general, so there's a lot of work to do, and we're going to run through the finish line.
2: yes, so I think that some of the maybe some of the things we did this last legislative session will help uh, certainly the increase in the uh, education cost sharing grant should help bring in more. Uh, funds to make the classroom sizes smaller and and create more more opportunity for the students uh, in all of our areas that have been so underfunded for so long. Uh, And so I'm just wondering, uh, you know, I know that you're the town and the school is separate, but I just was wondering what do you think the impact of that will be?
1: Well, I I think that legislation this year was incredibly important. I mean, you you talked about... The fact that a lot of communities had not seen that that ECS uh, equalization for a long time, but uh, but beyond that, you just hadn't seen that formula anywhere near fully funded, and there was a really strong group of legislators that you were a part of that that worked mm-hmm. hard to to push that this year and didn't get everything that uh, we all wanted, but got a lot and and made some really important progress. Mm-hmm. And um, look, I think to some extent that will allow us to make investments that that have needed to be made i hope in in things that you know, things like smaller class class sizes in some places um you know maybe uh, additional uh counselors and and other types of support that are more and more necessary um and then you know i i think it's important to say though that it also just some for some districts just helps them uh keep pace because Costs are going up right, and that's the, right you know the, and, and and you know teachers deserve raises, but yeah. that imposes enormous costs on on districts, and you want to make sure that we're paying teachers what they deserve so so I think you know a bill like that uh, which is so hard fought for and 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 so hard won and so important um I hope it'll allow us to do more than we've done before, but it also means that for some communities they're at least going to be able to keep doing what they were doing Mm -hmm. when there was a real risk that they wouldn't.
2: That's right. Yeah. That's an excellent point. And it's going back to the town, though, and and the city, rather. Um, You know, the things that you're doing, like the youth services, tell us a little bit about that program. That sounded very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, that's that's one of the things that's that's closest to my heart. You know, we've done we've done a lot of you know, we we try to get the baseball stadium back on the rails and mm-hmm. and you know get the budget back on track and all that. But if you ask me, the thing that's probably closest to my heart over the last eight years, it's it's the youth service corps, and that's something that we built from scratch. Uh, we we didn't have any public money to to use for it at the time, so we uh, we raised private dollars, and the vision was. To build a way to to help reach the young people you know, between the ages of 16 and 24, who were who were most off track, the kids who were most disengaged and disconnected. You know those young people who had dropped out of uh, of school, uh, or you know had finished high school or maybe gotten a GED, GD, but were not in uh, not pursuing more education, didn't have a job, um, and and beyond that, we wanted to reach those kids who we knew it faced enormous obstacles so it's it's not first come first serve it's by referral only and a huge number of the kids in the youth service corps um, are kids who have faced challenges that most kids can can't really imagine right they've been under dcf supervision or in the foster system they've been homeless or housing insecure they've been justice involved Uh, and, and we wanted to make sure that it was a chance for those kids to to be part of a team, part of a, uh, a group that was doing meaningful work in their community, uh, was getting paid for that work year-round, minimum wage but real paycheck uh, year-round, and getting connected to mentors and coaches and support um, that would help them build the skills that would allow them to be successful in the next step, and then to make that plan for what the next step would be, whether it was going back to school, going on with school, or going on to get another job. And you know, over the, the since we started it, we've had about 2,000 young people in Hartford who have been part of the Youth Service Corps. And if you think about that, you know, we're a small city uh, by national standards. Right? We're 125,000 people. So we're talking about, you know, of our city has been a part of that youth service corps and has gotten uh, the chance to earn that paycheck get that sense of pride, be part of that team, get connected to support and resources. And we want to see that grow even further. So that's something that I I really think I'd love to see that model grow and be replicated around the state. Uh, Last year, we were able to get some funding into the state budget, not just for Hartford, but to try to help fund some pilot programs like it around the state and actually Stanford, uh, started one using some of that pilot funding. Um, but that's something I think is really important because the kids in this year's service Corps, um, you know, they are, they're, they're just as talented and smart and capable as kids anywhere. And they've been through a lot. And, uh, and I don't think there's anything to me that makes me prouder than seeing a young person who's. Gone into that youth service corps and then gone on, whether for more education or got that job and is doing well. And you know, I just love to see us do more of that.
2: I, I love that, and I just wanted to add one little thing and uh, to the, to that whole, especially the, the 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 children who are in the foster care because they can go on to college from foster care and if they have the right you know a chance with these uh, support and having a group to be with uh, that maybe shares a lot of the similar problems uh, this is a way to get them moving through and getting them onto some sort of uh, educational opportunity and now of course we have the free community college as well so right, those right. combinations of things will really help so this is a this is a great step that you've created for people in and those very difficult circumstances SO THAT IS GREAT WORK.
0: YEAH, I, I AGREE COMPLETELY. Uh- Luke, I, I, working with kids is so important. Kids that maybe had have had a lot of difficulties but have surmounted most of them but are still, you know, they don't have that kind of self-confidence they need to, to really develop their uh, incredible skills. Because you're right, these kids are just as smart and just as capable as kids anywhere. They just have had it. They haven't had the, 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 the fortune, the good fortune, to have uh, an easier uh, milieu to operate in. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I've spent years and years and years and years uh, working with kids in Little League, uh, especially with girls, trying to get girls to play ball, softball, mm-hmm. uh, building self-confidence. It's incredible how some of these kids grow. Some of them are not the, the greatest athletes, but they, they learn uh, uh, to, to play a team sport. They learn how, like in baseball or softball, how it's okay to fail. Don't let mm-hmm. your failures... Uh, take you out of the game just get, get, get that bat get right up there and get a hit the next time and that is such a great lesson and in the kind of program you're talking about is wow that brought a smile to my face that is so important because you know as you know it's tried to say it, but the kids are our future, and 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 you know we've really got to work with the kids, and sometimes you have to do it in a in a in a, in a milieu that's away from school, doesn't it? You know you can learn a lot uh, outside of school too, and yes, right. and and you know you learn everywhere. You learn from your friends. You learn from your parents. You, you, you know you learn on the street but 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 it's uh you know the, the being involved in a structured program like that is going to turn lots of the lives of lots of these kids around and they're going to become very productive citizens and they're going to be have much greater and happier lives that's wonderful
1: well we we, we sure we sure hope it does and i i you know i couldn't agree with you more about the the lessons that you can learn and 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 I, I also, you know, for, for a lot of these young people who are in Youth Service Corps, the ability to bring, bring home that paycheck, $15 an hour, and bring it home and be a, con- a contributor, uh, you know, even to their, to their family in a meaningful way, that, that in itself is a game changer, you know. To, and, and hopefully it means when they go apply for that next job, they can show that work experience also, which helps them get it. So we, we you know, we're, we
2: believe in it. That's great. And when you're talking about jobs, the economic expansion that you're doing in Hartford, bringing more businesses to Hartford, uh, these kinds of things are uh, very, very uh, instrumental in terms of making the population have uh, hope and access to different types of jobs and uh, making them uh, seek different types of educational opportunities. Uh, What kinds of things can you tell us about those, those business opportunities that have been developing?
1: well look I, I i think first of all we've got to acknowledge that the pandemic slowed that down too right i yes. mean we, we we really had had begun to make some really good progress in getting employers to move into the city, not out and uh, and even during the pandemic, we saw some of that but it but it definitely slowed us down and and the way that a lot of employers you know are thinking about remote work versus in person that's been a hit a hard hit for us um, but at the same time not just in Hartford, but but around the state we're at a a period where there are a lot of jobs open and available and the real challenge is to make sure that we're preparing people for those jobs and and then beyond preparing people for those jobs making sure that people can get to those jobs i I think that's one of the other obstacles we've got a, a state that as small as we are we're not all that connected and that's it, right. It can be really hard to get from one place to the other, especially if you don't have a car. There's a lot of folks in my city who don't have a car. Um, so I think those are, those are the kind of things that, that have to be part of the conversation. And we have to really like un- unapologetically talk about, about those things as part of economic growth. Like when we talk about transit opportunities, not charity, that's gross.
2: That's when right. We talk
1: about you know uh, your your point about community college, which is one of the most important pipelines uh, to employment in, in our state. That's not you know just doing a favor for somebody and giving free tuition. That's economic growth. That's,
2: that's right. That's filling
1: those jobs. And and I really think it's important that we that we're just like really clear and and loud about making that case for all those things that enable economic growth in this
2: state. That that's absolutely right, and and making sure people have access to those resources because electric boat, Pratt and Whitney, um, you know, Sikorsky aircraft all require people that have right. some type of post-secondary education in engineering or some some computer IT something, and uh, you don't they're not going to get that unless we support our students and help them get that post-secondary that's education. Right. Got to have and
1: it. And by the way yeah absolutely and by the it's also why we have to be talking about housing as part of economic growth because you cannot grow if there's no place for people to live
2: right and
1: uh and i think this is one of the biggest uh things we've got to do as a state is is figure out a way to to balance this state's steady habits and this state's resistance to change with the need to create more opportunity for people to live uh, you 've got thousands of jobs open at a, a electric boat, and it's you know New London is seeing tremendous uh, residential development, and that 's great to see, but we need to see that over the, across the region there and, um, and and really across the state. If you look at the way the country has grown and then you look at the way connecticut has grown we 've pretty much flatlined and if we're going to fill those jobs we got to make sure that there are places for people to live exactly and and that includes you know giving places where seniors can downsize or or maybe move into senior housing and then you know that if they don't want to stay in their home they want to be in a different place but that frees up their home to be a starter home for a new young family and so we have to build across the income spectrum all types of housing but we've got to build more housing and uh you know, I, I mean, I know I started by, by framing it as about economic growth, which I really believe, but I also think it's a quality of life issue in this state because, you know, you talk to a lot of people, especially, you know, once you get to middle age or older, what's the most, what's one of the biggest quality of life issues for any family? It's are you going to see your kids and grandkids on a regular basis or are they going to be somewhere else? And right now we're increasingly being a state where, It's hard for kids and grandkids to stay because there's no place to live.
2: That's right. That's very, very. That's an excellent point. And of course, there is a lot of there are a lot of properties. There's a lot of um, uh, like we have Mansfield Training School or Southbury. Uh, there's uh, Connecticut Valley uh, a Hospital area. A lot of empty buildings there. A lot of places all over the state that the state yeah. could build. And I've often suggested that when I che- when I was uh, uh, one of the you know uh, many medi- uh, members of the housing committee. Uh, yes. But I, I still do think the state has uh, some authority to go in and take the state properties and start building and developing housing there. But, I mean, we need also, we can't do it by ourselves in the state. We need to have uh, developers that are interested, and we need to take control as a state of these areas where we have state properties that are just sitting there. Mm -hmm. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Why are we letting it happen like that? That's crazy. But some of it has to do with the influence of some of the neighbors around those properties. And uh, we need to just be able to say we need housing and we need people uh, to be able to have a place to live. And uh, some of these places are excellent places. They've got great grounds. You could do some great condominium complexes on them. And, uh, you know, it's time that we stepped up a little bit more. But I think you raise a really excellent point, and it's something that we are struggling with. We have more than 100,000 right now. The state of Connecticut needs at least 100,000 more units. A hundred thousand more units.
0: Well, we need a a, a concerted approach. We need people to come together and, you know, the problem is with 169 little fiefdoms all over the state, some of which are larger than others like yours and like New Haven, like Bridgeport, (laughs) like New Britain. Uh, You know, we need uh, the people in the the rest of the state to come together and we all work together on this. This is not just a a problem for Hartford or New Britain or East Hartford. It's a problem for the whole state. But apparently a lot of people don't recognize that. And it it, it definitely requires leadership. And I hope, Luke, that when you go off to your next uh, challenge, I hope you consider uh, moving in that direction and trying to work statewide and get us all working together on some of these issues.
1: Well, I, I appreciate you saying it then. Is that right? Right now, for the next six months, I'm just trying to not mess up and get as much done as I can, and then you know take a little break. We'll see. Oh, I
0: know that next six months you got to work, you got to focus on, on on finishing up in Hartford. You've done a wonderful job. You set a great example for us here in uh, Windham, Willimantic, because uh, you know we we try to follow your lead. We watch what you and uh, Justin Elliker are doing, and and, and uh, you know you you big big city mayors all over the state, and you're you know you're you're showing us the way to some extent, and and uh, we need that.
2: Yes. Well,
1: you, you know, we're in the one of the things I always uh, I always say is that we're in this little state that is the size of a lot of counties in this country, and we all need each other to be successful. You know, we can't. Nobody can uh, can do well in this state uh, unless we're all rooting for success everywhere. And I was thinking about this when I went out. You know, I went out to the boombox Parade this past. Uh, you know, on, on tuesday um uh, it took me about 35 minutes to get there when my when i go down to visit my in-laws in houston you know you don't think twice about driving 35 minutes and it takes you halfway across houston you're still in one city right and here <laughs> right. you know we think of ourselves like we're in these different worlds but we're one little place and we really do all hang
2: together That's right. There are so many things we want to talk about with you, Luke, and we want to have you back on the show. Uh, Any last quick words?
1: No, I just really appreciate uh, the chance to come on. I had a blast out there on Tuesday, and I look forward to coming out again soon. And, you know, we're doing this one by phone, but I, I look forward to getting out there and, and being with you in the studio sometime. But I just wanted to thank you both, both for, again, for having me on, but also for the work that you've done that has made a difference for the whole state. And I'm really, really thankful for that and, and uh, for our friendship.
0: Thank you, Luke, for taking the time for your busy schedule to be on. Let's talk about it. And, folks, thanks for listening, and we will be back next week with another fabulous show.
2: Have a great week, everybody.